Greetings everyone. Uh, welcome to the 16th episode of Material Analysis, the podcast. This is your host, your rightful host, Sandhu. <laughs> and uh, uh, you, we are joined today by three other co-panelists. Everybody say hi to the audience. Hi. Salutations. Ah. I'm going to try an alternative to the green. Salutations, comrades. Pramod, there's like, are you still here? Yeah. Are you yeah, away? Yeah. So, let I him go so. first and fall asleep. <laughs> it's fine. We can take over after that. <laughs> uh, today's episode is called Words Mean Things. I know that's a pretty banal title. It's something like we live in a society. But... Um, uh, but that's what the idea of the episode is, that there are certain words which are generally bandied about in Indian progressive circles, almost always inaccurately. And the idea of the, today's episode is not that we are pedants or lovers of language, although we are, uh, and, that, and that we are angry with these words being used, uh, words and phrases being used inaccurately, although we are. But there's a larger point that the steady political dilutions of these phrases, they are not useful categories mm. and we would not like that to happen. We'll be discussing four particular phrases in today's episode. Uh, one is, of course, the fan favorite, fascism. And then there is reactionary, often used a lot. And then there is liberal. And in, in left and progressive circles, often used as a star by random people. And then the, there's the fourth one. Soft Sanghi. So these are the four phrases we'll be using. Let's begin with the first one, fascism. Uh, Pramod, let's have your thoughts on this. Yeah, so my thoughts on fascism. Yeah. So uh, if you have to talk about fascism and the use of the word on the left, I think it's important to understand that within the left, especially in India, the way we use fascism, it basically means the worst possible thing politically, right? And uh, that is basically one of the internal debates that's been going on, particularly within the CPIM. Like, for instance, if the analysis is that the BJP is a fascist party, then they are compelled to use any means necessary to oppose the BJP. However, if the BJP is not fascist within their estimation, then, you know, they can also, like, you know, do things some other way and what this basically translates into if there's that if they think that the bjp is fascist then they'll basically have to uh, you know they are rather compelled to align with non-bjp opposition parties to give one example uh, in west bengal uh, the cpm's traditional rivals politically have been the trinamool congress and the congress prior to that however um, in this recent election they managed to lose a lot of votes I mean, the leakage of votes mainly happened from the CPIM to the BJP. And uh, if they acknowledge the BJP as fascist, today they might have to be in the sticky situation of, if not openly entering into an alliance with the Trinamool Congress or the Congress, to have a tacit understanding with them to engage in certain strategic voting behavior and whatnot. However, within the uh, scope of how they define 
the party as a fascist or not they don't necessarily just rely they they use certain other definitions of i mean like they have definitions of fascism which come from political theory etc and they try either fitting the bjp into that definition or excluding the bjp from that definition and there is a certain precedent for this within the history of the cpi for instance in uh during the emergency they had declared uh, indira gandhi's congress uh, indira gandhi's congress to be a fascist party the process they had actually allied a lot of non uh, non indira parties and uh, uh, including interestingly uh, hindu nationalists at the time and this was actually a matter of extreme controversy within the uh, cpim at, at the time itself with p sundaraya famously pointing that out in his resignation uh, and the thing was that if they analyze the congress as fascist then you know whatever the cpm did at the time was justified but as p sundaraya pointed out uh, if the congress wasn't fascist then there was no rationale for them to align with the uh, hindu nationalists at the time they could have and it which is not to say they should not have opposed the emergency their argument was of the people who had dis- disagreed with this diagnosis of the of indira as a fascist said that they would have opposed the emergency independently of the hindu nationalists and would not have uh, been part of the same forum i agree with you by the way that a lot of this has to do with the cpm having a certain historical framework now all of these political all of the frameworks which come from political science about fascism they have the common element of uh, corporatism like and that's how the fascists the original italian fascists saw themselves as well that mm. they saw the uh, corporate power being essentially Uh, um, ha- having some degree of primacy, and the Italian fascists were like that, and the uh, and the Austro uh, Austro fascists were like that, and Legionnaires Hungary was like that, um, etc. But the interesting thing is that you can make the argument that the BJP is not like that. That you know, in the BJP, we see a party which is not really a cat's paw to corporate interests. Yes. it it does favor generally a capitalist model it does favor um, capitalists as a class yes it has worked in their interest but the bjp and the sang in general is nobody's cat's paw they have certain interests which go beyond material politics which are culturalist interests which are caste interests which are religious interests and which are racial interests and those interests predate there be they, they them essentially being a, a a very bourgeois heavy party and and this is something to be kept in mind because there is another historical party which has been considered fascist at least in the common discourse but in which the state was superior to the capitalist powers and and corporatism was subservient to state power and that was the nazi party so mm. if you are going by the extremely orthodox a uh, sort of italian definition of fascism then the nazis are not exactly fascist can i can i interject here and point to the fact also that fascism has also been uh, associated with a sort of ultra nationalist um, sentiment true. right true. the idea true. that the nation itself is first um, and and that if if, if corporatism does exist um, it's couched in the language of uh, extreme jingoism and ultra nationalism right uh, and i think ajaz am actually says that you know every country deserves the fascism it gets by which he means i think that uh, you know in the recent essay recent interview he actually explains this uh, which is that you know if fascism were to develop in india it, it should 
it, it would be developing uh, with the conditions that are very unique to the region and its histories and its um, economic development. So yes, the fact I, I, that, I agree with that. I, yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. I would say that it's not very useful as political analysts okay. to sort of not evolve the definition of fascism. Yes. Because even even by that very orthodox definition, I would say that there are there there were you could see branching outs even at that point, like mm-hmm. with the phalangist movement, for example, and and certain right wing reactionary movements in South America. So I would not sort of hold on to like the extremely orthodox, like Sorel inspired or it, Italian fascist. But then the problem becomes interesting because then what what holds fascism together? Then mm-hmm. then what is common between all fascism? And I would like to venture an answer here. My answer here is that regardless of what format of fascism you are considering, regardless of whether or not corporate power is superior to or not superior to the party or to the central state or whatever, the commonality is that it is a steel frame of capitalism, that it is fundamentally corporatist in nature. Hmm. And that is, I think, something you can't do away with. If you do away with that, then it's not fascism. And here I have a concern that you have people now who would very ahistor like, you know, if you are using that, this much more expanded definition I just gave, then yes, you can consider the BJP a fascist party and you can consider the Nazis a fascist party. Hmm. Right? Hmm. But you have a lot of people now who in certain conversations very ahistorically would call um, uh, historical entities fascist when corporatism didn't even exist. Like mm-hmm. you have people who are calling, you know, certain uh, certain states in ancient China, for example. This is hilarious. There are people who call the, uh, you know, the Shang administration in, in, in the first Chinese empire in Shi Huangdi's empire, a fascist administration just because it was extremely cruel. Mm-hmm. You have people who, are, who will go as far as to say that the caste system itself was fascist. Mm. Fascism can't become a stand-in to mean any authoritarian system I dislike. So what and, are, what are and also a sort of uh, evil, you know, deriding of human rights and so on also ends up becoming just just some sort of it's it's a basically a synonym for any kind of evil, right? Anything we've dis- we've decided is politically evil and is anti-human rights and is anti-whatever humanist as well, um, and so on that gets that gets labeled as fascist, right? So to, so to add to that, I think it's not just evil, but I think people use the word fascism when there is particularly an authoritarianism that they see, right? There seems to be a certain uh, centralization of forces when there's a cult of, you know, personality there and there is a sort of mm. whipping up of mass sentiment in in ways that certain communities become disposable, which is why I think, you know, with Indira Gandhi's uh, Congress, for example, I, I think it was maybe less the corporate angle or the capitalist angle that got picked up on and more the kind of tightening of state authority, which hadn't been associated with the Congress as much before. But something else I'm also thinking of based on what uh, promotes said at the very beginning is that fascism seems to represent a certain um, sort of climactic point or a certain horizon of uh, evil and, and power. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be this idea that it, because it's a benchmark, like it is a certain like culmination that it sets the standards uh, for where we draw the line and where we don't draw the line. So in that sense, part of what makes fascism 
uh you know more murky and for people to kind of use it the, in the in the uh flexible or maybe loose way that they do is that you're constantly using it to redefine what are the limits for yourself right like where do you draw a line and it's almost like there's fascism and then on the other side everything else kind of gains this homogenous look so you can think in terms of or uh, what my alliances can be outside of fascism but fascism remains the big no no so in that sense to justify your alliances you move the definition of fascism around because you want to set a certain moral boundary for yourself so i am uh, like of course on the side of like you know keeping fascism as a definition if not the original definition like i generally think that you know using fascist for every uh, authoritarian quote unquote evil regime is like a useless category at that point but i would like to ask a question from you guys because this is another like you know really twisted sort of case we have uh, so there is a regime or there was a regime rather which was extremely nationalist in nature it was racially exclusionary and uh, exterminating in nature it also had a certain uh, like not a corporatist but definitely an economic relationship between the sort of otherizing uh, uh, and you know there was an economic connection there and the regime i'm talking about is the confederate states of america which was mm-hmm. as you know the split from united states during the civil war mm-hmm. now i would not consider the confederate state a fascist state despite there being a clear relationship between you know yeah. it's needing to hold its racial policies which were connected to its economy so to speak but i would like to hear your thoughts of you guys on this i guess my concern is where colonialism then fits into definitions of exactly fascism, that's right? exactly what i was thinking yeah. that by that logic you will call anything fascism but yeah, yeah. I, my concern is that uh, the fact that the confederacy is basically premised upon the logic of a settler colonial state right um and, and the elimination of native indigenous um american indians as well as the usage of african american slave labor makes the situation a little bit unique and i guess the term fascist for me really comes out of um, the development of a sort of bourgeoisie and i'm a little bit and and a certain kind of class politics and i'm not sure that the confederate states of america actually exactly. fit, so, fit into so, that kind yeah. of yeah logic that's what i was trying to get at that you know you can't and by the very, by that logic you can't use uh, fascism for any you know pre modern or even pre capitalist Exactly, because it simply does not work that way. So, I, I think we all agree on this. Yeah, on, think, yeah. So then, I want to present a question from the other angle, which is since we agree that there needs to be a certain defin- definitional coherence. uh what is the advantage of evolving that definition why are we you know why do we stretch the term yeah good question like why, why do we call the nazis fascist like that that's my question right and right. clearly it has left a huge imprint on our imagination it's like we can't let go of the term because it has gripped our imagination in a certain way so you know we already know so i don't know like can we spell out i guess the costs and benefits <laughs> to use very neoliberal jargon of uh, you know using the term and like continuing to hold on to the term i guess 
Well, I think one of the things that the left has always tried to do is also develop a, a mode of analysis, right? Uh, that is historically and that is historically materialist, and that tries to identify um, patterns in the way that states and corporations have, you know, are, are related to one another. In as as capitalism sort of deepens its like late stage capitalism, right? We are in a very particular stage of capitalism right now, so we're trying to see if authoritarianism or the rise of authoritarian powers, the right wing generally um, speaks to a certain kind of class politics and if there's something to be learned, right? Uh, I know people are very invested, for instance, to talk about how everyone, everywhere people are electing right-wing uh, right parties, right? The victory of the right wing across the global south, but also across the global north. Um, and they want to try to pinpoint why, why are they popular? And I think fascism offers a formula of sorts about why that works. So it's very tempting to say, oh, look, this is not uh, textbook fascism, but here are the ways in which we can find a pattern. And here is a language we can call upon that can just give us a, a sense of the dangers that this kind of moment presents. Uh, I think Ejaz Emil favors the term fascistic, for instance, so recognizing elements of fascism within the right wing or Hindutva or, or, or the Sangh actually is I think what he's referring to uh, I would be an interesting exercise just because we can understand the way in which that RSS envisions power and the distribution of power uh, but again if, if if it's not uniquely analyzing how the Sangh emerges in independent India and pre-independent India um, and, and caters to very specific logics and ideologies that the Sangh has now framed as its manifesto of sorts, um, it's not really useful. So there's, there's you have to do that little bit of push and pull in both. Yeah, Pramod, final thoughts on fascism. Are the Nazis fascist? <laughs> yeah, the Nazis are fascist. <laughs> is the BJP fascist? Hmm. Yeah, is the BJP fascist? Like, I would think that uh, as far as modern evolutions of fascism go, or rather, then yes, it is very, very close to fascism in the sense that, um, for instance, they have certain key f features that I th think align with those of fascist parties. One is very importantly that they have a paramilitary, uh, almost a paramilitarized yes. cadre mm -hmm. base, mm -hmm. uh, a very strong idea of uh, a homeland uh, versus who, uh, what constitutes a nation and who, who uh, you know, belong to the nation and who don't. Mm -hmm. So in these uh, terms, I think it is fair to say that the BJP is fascist or an evolution of fascist politics in the 20th and the 21st. Uh, I really like the word fascistic yes. because then it allows you wiggle room. Yes. And, uh, but, you know, the way I see it, like I said before, I would not hold on to the orthodox classical definitions as yeah. long as we have a useful working definition. Mm -hmm. And by any useful working definition, the Nazis were fascist. Mm. But if the Nazis were fascist, then the BJP is also fascistic, if not fascist. What we implore our audience is to read up a bit on this and you know, I know a lot lot of people on the left really despise Trotsky, but like Trotsky had some of the like best analysis of what fascism is still a useful analysis because it does capture the class nature of fascism. It does capture how corporatism is formed, how it is fed by the petty bourgeois and how essentially fascism is a popular and a mass movement and to sort of equate it with 
you know, lone dictatorship like a bad idea. It's it's not like that. It, it's, so I can literally hear the Marxist-Leninists start twitching in their seats right now, but go on. <laughs> yes, but like even the Marxist-Leninists, I know what they feel about Trotsky, but they should read him on fascism. It's useful. Now let's, enough on fascism. No. See, Iron Expert is reactionary, right? Yes, yes, it's reactionary. Uh, uh, Bela was talking about the erosion of secular democracy. Fascism has always got this sort of anti-incumbent streak to it that the previous modes have kind of failed us. Mm. And, you know, this is, we need fascism because uh, it's bringing something new and it's shaking things up in a way that's useful. Like that's what the conservatives will, will often say, right? And I'm thinking that that has some resonance with the term reactionary because of this idea of, of reacting to something. So, uh, yeah, would like someone like to start off on what the common sense understanding of the word seems to be and then with what ways that's inadequate or useful. Um, I think the way in which it's popularly deployed, at least on social media, seems to be that anything that is seen as a knee-jerk response, to, uh, uh, any political response that seems knee-jerk is classified as reactionary, right? It's that... And that is, oh, by the way, wrong. Like that is, Of course, like, yeah. I'm saying that's a popular misconception. Yes, exactly. Uh, but that is the way in which the term is often deployed. And it's frustrating to see that um, the left history of that accusation, right, of something being reactionary, which is deeply about uh, whether something is progressive or anti progressive and in fact is regressive right uh, is a tendency to hark back to more conservative strains rejects reforms uh, goes back to some sort of nostalgic time before or something like that that is exactly what reactionary was symbolizing in in say the french revolution right um and so the the way in which it's deployed is just anything that's a knee-jerk response is now reactionary that's that's a misconception and um, i would suggest people actually read a little bit more about where reactionary as a term came from and why it's a very necessary category of analysis in left discourse and why we we are very careful to sort of make sure that left movements are not reactionary Mm -hmm. and are thinking much more strategically about progressiveness and uh, reform right to to make it very clear for our audience uh progress is when you want the status quo to change for the better yes conservatism is when you think the status quo is fine and you would like to conserve it reaction is when you are not even a conservative you want to actually go back not 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 stay at the status quo so by by the current world's um like the where the current world is to be a conservative is to essentially be a capitalist you know Mm. but if you Mm. want to go back to feudalism or some such weird thing then it's reactionary now of course uh, this like a lot of other things it comes out of the french revolution a lot of left verbiage comes out of french revolution mm-hmm. and there were actual politicians at that time who called themselves as reactionaries with the idea that the monarchy was preferable to whatever they had at that time mm-hmm. and and the uh, rule of church as well the rule of church as well true and okay uh, so you were talking about the you know the right now most conservatives these see tend to be more capitalist and uh, you're, you're associating reactionary with something that's more backward looking than that, right? But right. is it possible to have, and I'm saying that because I do think it is, uh, to have hybrids where you have... Yeah, uh, yeah of course, yeah. of course. So can course. we talk maybe about structures that have this sort of golden age nostalgia or this idea that, you know, we were better then, but are also simultaneously trying to present themselves as modern and progressive as opposed to something that's, you know, defunct. Uh, I, would, I would even say that even most, even like leftist or radical social movements have had reactionary components in them. Like mm-hmm. it's a widely known thing, for example, 
that trade unions are often reactionary that uh, uh, in say especially more? trade unions so yes yeah, say more about unions, that uh, for example the french trade unions are notorious that they uh, on certain issues when like aside from your very urgent you know welfare or wage issues which are like the most urgent to uh, unions um mm-hmm. on on social issues or internationalism on border etc they would they don't even like the current status quo they would they would really like to go back to the 1930s or something mm-hmm. and uh, this sort of stuff is not very surprising because mm-hmm. they don't organize on political or ideological lines they organize on very urgent economist demands right mm-hmm. so it's yeah. perfectly understandable that parts of them would be conservative and parts of them would be downright reactionary reactionary is not something that you can neatly categorize just by you know oh this is their ideological line or something like you can have people even in very progressive states who are reactionary about certain things like uh, for example even even in scandinavian states which otherwise have pretty good economic metrics yeah. um, there is a deep reaction when it comes to certain social issues so you know you don't even have to look at some place like india which is anyway like pretty reactionary with a lot of nostalgia for feudal mores and a lot of nostalgia yeah, exactly. for class pride and lot of nostalgia even within progressive spheres like the joke goes that you know go to any rich progressive's house in delhi and you will get to experience a bit of feudalism so so know. the other question i had is is it is it erroneous to categorize hindutva itself as a reactionary force or at least as, as having had a reactionary past because it seems to me that it was developing during the independence struggle as a way of saying that this is the india that we see in opposition to say gandhi's india and the congress's idea of india right yeah. um and savarkar's own sort of um, sort of harking back to the golden age of hinduism or whatever just seems to re- like reemphasize that point. i would call hindutva in parts a reactionary i don't know if promodh would agree with me on this need mm-hmm. anyway half asleep but i would say that there are parts of the hindutva project which are reactionary i mean um some of some of the ideals are going back to a certain idealized version of hinduism which by the way has never existed yeah so there is that but also it's more complicated right like yeah. savarkarite hindutva i would say is less reactionary than golwar golwal karite mm-hmm. hindutva right because mm-hmm. savarkar he is a fascist by the way but connecting it to our earlier like in in, a, in or fascistic if you would want that hmm. but also he has tried to radically reimagine hinduism like in in the sense that he looks at it in this muscular racial project of inspired from prussian nationalism of his hmm. time pramod please weigh in on this i think the third reactionary i mean like reactionary movements can also develop in an anti-colonial context and uh, i mean like so when uh, the thing that uh, bela was saying but the thing is that it's reactionary in the sense that the vision of india that they had from the beginning or, or from since the inception was an extremely exclusionary vision of india now you can obviously argue that to a large extent some of some parts of this vision were also shared by the congress but at the same time uh, you know when you look at people like gandhi or nehru people love ripping on them now but you do see a concerted attempt within certain sections of 
the Congress, especially their leadership, etc., to make some, to try for certain kinds of reconciliation from from the 1920s, 1930s. In the 1920s, you had Chitranjan Das coming up with the Bengal Pact, uh, which failed. You have Gandhi trying to, you know, uh, you know, align with the Khilafat movement, etc. Actually, defending the Mopla uprising, for instance, which he was attacked by contemporary Hindu nationalists for it. You know, even in the constituent assembly debates, etc., you see that a lot of Congress leaders, in the face of a lot of opposition, were at least committed. Like they need not have been considering they were operating within a Hindu majority state. But, uh, you know, they did make a concerted attempt to define India as a secular state. Like, even if they didn't put the word secular in the constitution, it was definitely there. Hmm. And for instance, even the fact like the Hindu, uh, Hindu civil law was amended yes. for in the face of a lot of um, Brahminical, opposi- Brahminical conservative opposition. Now, I don't mean to say that uh, much of Hindu society was Brahminical back then or it is today, which it's that that idea is false, but many of these elect many of these uh, politicians were definitely Brahmins or other upper caste conservative Hindus. But we saw that there was an attempt to basically resist this. So you know, even judging by the standards of that time, Sangparivar or the Hindutva of the time represented an extremely reactionary, conservative, uh, and exclusionary vision of uh, the nation and nationalism, which was rather at odds with even the, uh, you know, more hegemonic or the more standard form of nationalisms that uh, existed at the time. So I think it's very fair to say that they are a reactionary movement. I agree with that. So audience, stop using reactionary in a lazy manner. It doesn't mean somebody knee-jerk reacting to something. It has a meaning of wanting to go back to the past. And on that note of Pramod hinting at, you know, people now that it has been quite actually popular among the leftists to disown liberals and you know old old adages that scratch a liberal and a fascist bleeds and all that have become common and essentially twitter uh, threads on pointing out uh, liberalism is a, essentially a failed and a uh, loserish ideology are quite popular within leftist circles and i think that and, and, and as personally as a leftist who is not very sympathetic towards liberalism, even even by that, I would say that a lot of the critics of liberalism I read on social media these days are extremely lazy mm. and do not analyze the relationship between the liberal movement and the leftist movement properly or its history properly. What do you guys think about this? And I'm okay. talking specifically okay. in the wait, context wait. I'm, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just like, I'll just like throw this out there. Uh, Promote here sexually identifies as a liberal. Why didn't you say sex? I'm, I'm very sleepy. Sorry, I, I, I'm going to talk trash. Anyway, the thing is that, uh, you know, I identify as a left liberal. I'm not a Marxist, so like screw that. Uh, but yeah, I let's excommunicate him, guys. I mean, let's excommunicate him. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the word, like, people don't realize it. And I think a lot of people, like, you know, who don't want to acknowledge it, 
I, uh, but they're actually liberals. I mean, like it's fine, really, to be a liberal. I, so you're basically liberal, saying that a liberal ideology in itself is not flawed, and that you actually identify many of your political positions. No, I think it might be flawed. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, like I'm open to discussions on how liberalism might be flawed or, or mm-hmm. not, because I don't also think that all ideological or any ideology is perfect for that matter. And yeah. I try being open as much as possible to whatever I can appropriate and whatnot. But mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, uh, a, there's this big problem where a lot of people have eminently liberal positions on politics, but they'll use liberal as sort of an insult. And, uh, you know, without realizing that, you know, they are like liberals themselves, like it's become, the, you know, the bar bar is pretty low for this. Like, for instance, you know, uh, people think that they're not liberals because they support, say, the right to self-determination for Kashmir, yeah. right? Now, then, when do you, how do you place the CPIM within this context? Because the CPIM uh, is not a technically liberal party. I mean, like there are there are actual people who call themselves communists and Marxists and socialists, whatnot, who don't support the right to self-determination for Kashmir. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are they, and then there are communist parties which do right. like but they, right. they are right. believing right. in the right to self believing in the right to self determination or thinking that Indian nationalism is bad etc doesn't make you automatically a communist or a Marxist right mm-hmm. there's like there's another, there's another field in which I think the the definition of liberal has actually become very murky because it's people who uh, try to sort of set the lines for what is politically correct language and terminology, uh, not not terminology, but like uh, you know, not like not being politically incorrect and being politically sensitive in discourse, right? So like some people think that people who do that, like those who set very hard lines. Uh, are radical because they don't make you know excuses and because like they're very much for uh, sort of not like oh peace and love and we all get along thing but you know that there are very specific things you can and can't say and then there are people who believe that anybody who's obsessed with language and discourse (laughs) instead of being involved in like grassroots activism is a liberal like so you know liberal has basically come to stand for soft okay okay you guys are talking at too sophisticated a level let me let me like break it down to like social media nonsense level a bit. What I'm seeing is that in the anti-liberal discourse on social media, anybody who is like anglophone and speaks polished English and is not overtly political, not overtly leftist, that is, is called a liberal. And that is the most hilarious aspect. One thing is that, you know, a lot of people have a very Maoist definition of liberal which is that any form of ideological flakiness is what they associate with yeah yeah exactly and that is true because by that logic like anybody and everybody could be called a liberal. No, the yeah. other thing I also find is that there's also a heavy stress on the individual and that the individual can be redeemed from the ideology they stand for. So for me, like I find people who want to redeem, you know, people like say Jaitley, you know, or Sushma Swaraj who died um, as as redeemable human beings, despite being Hindutva um, politicians, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and this idea that we can all get along ultimately because as individuals, we all find a common ground yeah. to relate to. And the reason I move left with the and I actually do think I'm a left liberal because uh, my sympathy with anti-caste movements and Ambedkar himself being a liberal, a very 
very solidly puts me on liberal territory but i do think there are ideological sort of formations that you should always see individuals being a part of that you cannot extricate them out of so easily but um, unfortunately a lot of liberals on social media try to always try and redeem you know separate the individual from the ideology from the structure and that i mean like for what it's worth i don't think there is a contradiction in being a left like people think that you know there's something a lot of people like you know newborn marxists or whatever wikipedia marxists yeah that's what i call them yeah wikipedia marxists tend to think that you know like uh, left liberal is an oxymoron and i don't think it is i mean like the fun fact is that early on karl marx described himself as a literal rad lib i mean like he literally calls himself a rad oh, okay 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 i think that should be spoken with a bit of nuance there so that is hard on myself like, cannot karl uh, marx go down as a rad lib on this no point. no 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 the relationship between liberalism and marx is very interesting and dare i use that word dialectical wherein marx is often informed by uh, mm-hmm. liberal prerogatives but what sets marx aside or what what makes marx different from other socialists of his time is that then marx says that there has to be a historical material basis to the analysis of achieving the things yeah, we want yeah, to achieve yeah but i'll i'll be even more pedantic and say that that form of analysis is not necessary like i i can tell you but uh, i can name about 100 people in academia who are politically liberals but you know use that kind but of but they are using Marxian that way no no i i, I know that a lot of liberals do use marxian analysis so hence i'm not that keen to dismiss you know quote unquote liberalism because i think by this time it has started to represent too wide an array of ideas to be captured neatly into what i mean like classical liberalism actually no i mean like classic classical liberalism i mean like let's just put it here that this idea that classical liberalism and you know is like the proper liberalism i mean like if you're stuck with classical liberalism you actually are stuck before the 19th century because if you consider no. the fact that john stuart mm. mill mm. is considered the founder of modern liberalism mm. then you're basically stuck before mill you're stuck with locke i don't know it doesn't make much sense to me because uh, i mean like people should just go out and say that they're right right wing libertarians or yeah or that's like what i was trying to say that mm. that a lot of people who call themselves liberals are not liberals they are extremely right wing so when and you say that you mean you mean let's 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 actually look at qualities then are we saying that they actually support capitalism they have faith in capitalism and the market well, no, right most most liberals support the market that's not what i mean over well, here what i mean is that economic right mm, no, so. that's not what i mean either <laughs> what i mean is that you know most liberals most actual liberal like not internet caricatures but actual liberal philosophers do understand the need of concepts like welfare including most capitalist economics mm-hmm. and what people do who call themselves classical liberals on the internet is that essentially they have this very warped idea of what liberalism is or for that matter what capitalism is and it's a like to to be very plain it's a loco idea it's not even considered seriously by mainstream but can you party. tell me what these qualities are so i can recognize it if someone says i'm a classical liberal and they actually aren't actually well, liberal they they, they yeah. quote the this stupid ludwig von mises 
ஒரு <laughs> <laughs> like for instance we tend to when we talk about for instance you know the effect of rather this kind of right wing economic thinking uh, we mm. t- tend to think of august pinochet and chile in particular and the influence of this uh, the pinochet's coup and his regime now this person uh, actually makes a distinction between uh, how hayek and how friedman perceives this for instance for hayek it was perfectly acceptable to have an authoritarian society that would implement implement uh, you know an authoritarian socially conservative society that would implement these kind of uh, economic policies on the other hand there are like uh, milton friedman does actually express a lot of discomfort with the kind of regime that pinochet uh, uh, you know conducts and now both of these people are basically classified as classical liberals but a lot of like it's a big red flag okay so classical liberal is usually for me a very big red flag very big red flag for me as well like as soon as somebody calls themselves a classical liberal you you may as well assume that they are a, some kind of they're conservative uh, they're, so okay here's the thing let me ask you give me yes or no answers okay in a in a very uh, interrogatory mode here um, do they support a mixed economy no okay do they support civil and social liberties uh, th- that's where the distinction lies and that's why i brought in the distinction between friedman and hayek decentralization of powers are though is that a liberal uh, liberal ideology sometimes yes sometimes not, no not again. really not really it's okay. all sometimes, all sometimes yes sometimes no okay multi party democracy uh, sometimes yes sometimes no <laughs> completely orthogonal i would like say. if you're talking Yeah I mean like uh, it's orthogonal about... well, well I don't think it has anything to do with these people some confusion is being caused because Chandu and Pramod are are talking with a certain experience of people who claim to be classical liberals but actually stand for conservative things right and and i think that yeah. you're saying that the self identification itself is a red flag because it usually tends to go hand in hand with certain properties what is the motivation to identify as oh, a class so, so the, the the motivation arises from the fact that there was like you know during the new deal and all there was a lot of social programs happening mm-hmm. now there was a sort of a need felt by the capitalist class to sort of explain why all of this is wrong not just morally wrong but ideologically wrong why all of this would fail etc 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 the most convenient way to do that was to harken back to the roots of liberalism and say that you know original liberalism did not have any of these things so why are you doing it and of course that is also a mischaracterizing of liberalism because as pramod has said that ignores a lot of evolution of liberalism itself Mm. including modern liberalism and all but mm. you had these very bad faith actors one name which comes to mind is ayn rand i think the more influential work was actually friedrich hayek's road to serfdom mm. uh, in which he basically made a polemical case and it's a very bad polem- by the way it's not based on any evidence whatsoever hayek's road to in hayek's road to serfdom basically argues that the welfare state and uh, redistributive programs essentially are harkening back to feudalism authoritarianism etc etc so 
class those who are being called classical liberals by these people um classical these so called classical liberals did not call themselves classical liberals right it was a later group of people with more conservative leanings who tried yes. to make their ideology like look more normalized and more innocent by drawing a yes. sort of false continuity between their positions and yes. the older liberals yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes 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 especially yeah, yeah, that's why they make this artificial yeah. they, that's why they make that artificial distinction between Art. classical and modern liberalism like they think mm, that something there is, there is no such yeah horribly okay. wrong with me there are problems with liberalism and we, uh, we can debate with promote what they are there, no there are but, many fault lines and this is where i have this a great one is not also. one of them that's right. what i'm saying like okay. when Got it. leftists online this on liberalism those reasons are often informed by a reading of liberalism which is not made by liberals but rather by writing yeah, charlatans i agree and this also you know you have to understand this in the context of india in particular because in india we haven't really had i mean we have had like uh, marxist politics okay mm. and we have had conservative politics we have had clientelist politics we have had feudal politics we have had all sorts of politics that have happened in india one kind of politics that actually never took off in india was uh, liberal politics uh, mm. in the sense that uh, there was no article there is literally no liberal party really become this a uh, catch all phrase to describe a elite uh, kind of distant you know elite politics that is distant from ground realities of um mm. Mm. society and which is which is which is something that you don't just see reflected in discourses on the left but you also see these discourses on the right like for instance uh you know latians liberals i mean like who are these famous latians liberals no one knows but right. you know this is thing that goes around another one is khan market gang like who who is mm. exactly the khan market gang? to boil it down while it's while i personally think left hyphen liberal is a very valid phrase for a certain kind of politics which pramod has yes most people who identify themselves as left hyphen liberal in india are not left or liberal they are right. just english speaking privileged people <laughs> who don't right. like right. you know who don't really have a politics but like i'm going like... to say so what we are asking of liberals who identify as liberals um i think is what pinky also mentioned before which is that a be more consistent with liberal values and liberal politics be more supportive of say things like a free press and freedom of expression secularism in principle and practice uh you know uh, some degree of individual rights and liberties for every human being that's you know recognized under the constitution and so on so i feel like these are the things that they should be consistent with and also one criteria i'm a little confused about whether it fits into a liberal thing or not if i can quickly confirm that before moving on which is that a lot of the time the the critique that radicals have uh, you know when they say this is a liberal compromise is people mm. who believe that you can forge your way through the middle ground into something more radical eventually as opposed to radicals who say we should start from a position of no compromise so you know we don't mm. talk about reform we talk about abolition yeah. Okay, so this is like... this is this is I think of uh, more. I think this is some way a fairer assessment of some. Uh, I mean, like liberal politics in general. Like liberal politics generally issues um, revolutionary movements or stuff like that. I mean, although I mean, like uh, the antecedents of liberalism does lie in revolutionary politics. I mean, like the French Revolution, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or. the revolutions the liberal you know movements in 19th century europe that ha- happened and which actually inspired karl marx interestingly mm. um 
republicanism etc but mm. the thing is that uh, in the modern day uh, most liberals tend to take a position that you can have social transformations through incrementalist approaches yes people yes. uh, you know people who support bernie sanders criticizing liberals uh but i all i happen to think that bernie sanders supporters are essentially liberals themselves mm-hmm. like they're left mm-hmm. liberals but the way they critique uh, you know liberalism is again through this incrementalist approach whereas it's also true that people who support bernie sanders also believe in an incrementalist approach but maybe a larger kind of you know yeah, the quantum of uh, quantum of increment is larger than what say someone like Hillary Clinton would have represented. Mm, so agreed. Agreed. I, I have a slight disagreement with this line. By the okay, way. go uh, on. This line of incrementalism versus uh, violent revolution. Like it's not just about it being incremental or it being you know violent and revolutionary. It's that does it fundamentally alter the. social relations or does it fundamentally yeah. alter how wealth mm-hmm. is produced in society i don't necessarily make the differentiation in terms of whether it's incremental or whether it's uh, you know sudden and violent i would say that whether or not it fundamentally alters commodity production and things like that mm. so in that sense if you start looking at it like that then some of the critiques of uh, like the dsa people which pramod was talking about of liberals start making sense mm. that yes these are reformers they are not revolutionaries mm. that yes they are incrementalists but despite being reformers the thing they want mm. is fundamentally different from the capitalist mode of production the last thing we want to discuss which is being very common in social media discourse these days and really is uh, you know has gone to the point that it has become ridiculous anyone who displays islamophobia or who displays uh, tendencies towards conservatism mm-hmm. uh, or displays you know caste tendencies etc mm-hmm. people are using this term soft sanghi or you know calling random people sanghis mm-hmm. and uh, that i think is also a problem so so this phrase which is being incredibly abused mm. anybody and everybody is being called a soft sanghi and that's not uh, useful so pramod what do you have to say about that so soft sanghi every like you know every time you log on to the goddamn internet there is someone or the other who's being described as a soft sanghi and for stupid reasons right like you have shahrukh khan and amir khan taking a selfie with prime minister modi these people have been i mean like amir khan has been on record being critical of modi i don't like like the, i mean like i don't watch bollywood etc but like come on like these people are not sanghis just for having a selfie with modi and i think that also people are also confusing certain things again like for instance there are liberals liberal writers etc who sometimes you know have this idea that oh you know modi you know you know you sir are indecent kind of uh, you know opets that they write and you sir should control the indecency in your party kind of opets that they write and you know there is this inner attitude of saying oh you are trying to engage with the right that means that you know you are basically trying to engage with sanghi so you know if you think that there is any possibility of dialogue with them that means you basically are trying to normalize them and hence you are a soft sanghi and i see that that being repeated for uh, for instance with ramchandra guha with obhijit banerji with uh, 
a bunch of other people and i think that that's kind of like you know mistaken because uh, these people aren't sanghis they don't align themselves with sang politics and mm. i think that you know uh, a lot of these people that, that that's one category right people who basically either have been uh, like caught in frames etc for the work or whatever with the with i mean like the with bjp members etc uh without actually extending support or for instance who have tried like <coughs> addressing the bjp and trying to like tell them that maybe you should tone down etc or mm-hmm. people who have certain revisionist views of for instance which is a very common tendency you see these days like people can contrast modi with vajpayee mm-hmm. and it's very easy to dismiss this stuff and say that you know that you know these people are essentially quote unquote soft sanghis because they're trying to normalize this some of this you know like for instance the vajpayee versus modi comparison tends to be typical political amnesia and you see this and it's not just exclusive to india you will see this in america as well like for instance people when they talk about donald trump uh, and make certain critiques of donald trump tend to contrast george w bush with him except that you know when george yeah, exactly. w bush was around they were making the exact same critiques right? yeah. i mean like for instance the entire idea of you know an off in the white house like you know i, I, I mean like if anyone remembers the bush presidency they remember that there used to be so many jokes like the, like literally a genre of political comedy yeah. on television mm-hmm. evolved like the john uh, yeah. what was his name john stewart and yeah. uh, steven colbert etc they basically made the name mocking george w bush for being an idiot So this is typical amnesia that people have. The other thing is that you know when people are trying to engage with them, I mean, like that's another thing. You know, you can accuse them of political naivete. You can accuse them of you know having a very uh, you know simplistic understanding of politics and like why should anyone listen to you for that matter? That Mm. those are fair criticisms, I think. And the other is you know like people randomly popping up and like like taking selfies with the prime. I mean, like the rather. Prime Minister orchestrating selfies with them, etc., which they have to do as part of their jobs or whatever. Hmm. And none of yes. these are essential. Yeah. None of these processes are es- essentially actively trying to, like, you know, say that what the song is doing is good. The next other, the other thing that uh, you know people tend to call soft sangi is that you tend to see a lot of people, for instance, making false equivalences between, say. uh hindu communalism and uh, muslims being prejudiced towards hindus in india for instance mm-hmm. uh, which exists i mean like i'm not going to say that you know if you see um a lot of uh, pm uh, people on uh, social media for instance we talk to people yeah there there, there seems amongst a lot of people especially amongst minorities etc some of this is actually i mean considering the kind of thing that the see every today it's kind of justified because you know you see all this violence etc and you might attribute it to some sort of inherent you know problem with the majoritarian community the majority community sorry and um, some other people basically see these kind of accusations which yes well you know these are coming out of a place of anger these are obviously not uh, kind of like accurate representations of who the majority community are but they tend to see it and then they tend to make an equ- equivalence between the two and they like say that oh so you know you have sanghis and then you have musanghis for instance yeah yeah and yeah, I, yeah. and i mean like you know some 
random dipshit on the internet mouthing off about how many hindus are inherently evil or something because they're pagans and what not someone saying something like that is obviously not you know responsible for any structural violence on uh, hindus in india whereas uh, when a person basically like many an actual bjp members members starts demonizing muslims there they are like real consequences of that so you know like and people make this false equivalence all the time and that's another group of people you know who tend and i mean like these people sometimes go a bit too far for instance they'll actually go and say that you know these musangis on the internet are why sangis keep winning elections and shit like this like yeah, who yeah, gives yeah. a who gives a shit about twitter.com or facebook anyway yeah, but um, yeah. this again i mean like you know these people aren't really so sangis i mean like they're opposed to the sang pretty apparently but you know they tend to have islamophobic tendencies they tend to you know make false equivalences between majority and minority communities etc and you can call them out on that i think it's fair to say that you know a lot of indians a lot of indians are islamophobic for instance yeah. and it and this kind of islamophobia exists across the political spectrum it's not just something that there's on on the right is there amongst people who voted for the congress is there amongst people who vote, who are members of the left etc uh when you object to people accusing them of being soft sanghi you would you would like that the word sanghi actually be used in reference to people who have direct ties with with the sang is that yes, right yes okay. yes okay yeah. yes if if a person exp- expresses islamophobic tendencies uh just call them islamophobic just say that they have their own prejudices just say that they're reaffirming a n- narrative that is this <laughs> but don't say that this soft sanghis yeah because because okay, what about the average like hindu family that say unlike uh, <laughs> you know, ramchandra gu and people like that who who still have this aura of being like a sort of left leaning public intellectual who will criticize modi like what about say your average hindu family who is actually like a bit of a closet modi stan and you know they'll say that well the rss they're not really wrong when they're saying that hindus are besieged okay okay okay, like okay, okay okay let me let me clarify this pretty well because it's it it is connects to our first one the fascist thing right we all agreed that if uh, like if the nazi party is fascist then bjp is also fascistic right now yeah. the thing is like when the nazis came to power uh, like the last election they had around 30% of the seat share from what i remember right mm-hmm. so would you say that every third person in nazi germany was a nazi and i wouldn't by the way i i wouldn't I, i know that people would say yes to that very comfortably and they wouldn't look deep inside their own societies but the simple fact of the matter is is that most people in any society are full of various kinds of bigotries okay right. a fascist movement does not equate to being bigoted a fascist movement is an organized political process which which is a mass movement like again read trotsky or whatever but like a fascist movement is more than a collection of bigots so so, so my concern here when you said that you know not every person who votes for a nazi is a nazi i think yeah. this at least the party and the ideology align very neatly now the question is does everyone who votes for the bjp also become a sanghi because there is i, a... I don't i don't agree i don't I think don't everybody so. who votes i don't i don't I'll I'll have to agree with Chundu and I'll say that because because uh, <laughs> you wow yeah. miracles miracles has happened today uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sleepy now 
so yeah <laughs> so this is like is everybody who is voting for the bjp and when i'm saying everybody you do realize right there are hundreds of millions of people who yeah, are yeah, voting yeah, for yeah. the yeah, bjp yeah. Yeah, are yeah. all of them comfortable with the sanghi project i doubt that no no i'm not saying i'm not that, i mean like her question pinky's question was actually very specific here right pinky's question was very specific in the sense that you know you know this kind of sympathy for modi the kind of ideas that modi uh, that uh, the bjp is promoting now i don't think for instance like in west bengal when there were people who voted for the bjp against the tmc out of some, some anti incumbency sentiment they were all necessarily soft sanghis right yeah. i don't think yeah, that that's, that's what i'm saying uh, but there's a population uh, that, that definitely there's a population that definitely believes that the song and the vhp they are ne- they are there to keep a sort of rising yeah. muslim population yeah. in yeah 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 and, and i think that ones are soft participants and so, they are soft sanghis so yeah, by yeah. like by what i'm basically saying is that just voting for the bjp does not qualify you as a soft sanghi you need no i don't think so either no you you need to actually believe in that project and, and then so no, i'm going to say taking a selfie with modi if you're a shahrukh khan or an amir khan also does not make <laughs> no, you a soft sanghi like, like which is the term that circulated recently right i mean i mean you live in a society yeah, right like i mean uh, like yeah i mean like if you uh, like it, 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 this is like the weirdest kind of internet trend where you know not like just there, a there, there are there are actors who are way piece. more reactionary than a amir khan or a sharukh khan like come on guys like akshay like, kumar hello sangana ranot she is an actual fashion yes, supporter yes, like you yes, know really? she, she went on yeah, tv yeah. and said that you know she sangana yeah, uh, kangana ranot uh, i mean started off yeah i mean like she got run out so but anyway uh, like... god you are very sleepy all right okay no let me just say this let me just say this i also do think that the bjp's uh, politics of visual um, you know the the image making politics shall i call it is actually very tuned into this which is that they they realize that if you get high profile celebrities to be photographed with bjp leaders um, mm. there is that it it uh, spreads the idea that the sanghi ideology is far more popular yes. than it actually yes. is yes. yeah the reason i want to keep you know i don't want people to like call every random person a soft sanghi because right. if everybody is a okay, soft so sanghi then we have lost yeah. you know And like, then we I become mean, a Sangi society. Like we assume that the battle has been lost and it's gone yeah. and it's determined. Like we're not going to win, right? Yeah, I, I genuinely don't think that's the case. Like I think that one large part of countering BJP propaganda is to figure out why people vote for BJP and wh- why some of those people might not be soft Sangis. Yeah. So I yeah and you know I'm no I know this is going this this particular episode is going to piss off so many people I, I would know. also add there is a large misconception that people are just being sucked into the BJP you know political uh political sphere without uh, they they basically unthinking and they're being brainwashed yeah. into some yeah. ideology which and I really want to counter like pretty, yeah yeah that that's also pretty like lame yeah and... you're just assuming you're just assuming that um, you know people are morons if you think that yeah. i mean like yeah for instance in tripura where it's actually not i mean like tripura elections are not actually decided on hindu muslim issues there are very little um, there, there's not, the, the population of muslims in tripura is actually very low uh, i mean like and it's a bjp run state but the thing is that you know there the bjp is not winning because you know of its islamophobia it's re- winning for other reasons 
and the thing is that uh, you know people who are voting there even their people who are voting for the bjp they're making certain decisions in their head regarding what type of governance they envision yeah. what types of politics they envision and it's not fair to say that you know they're just being suckered into like voting for the bjp there's some fools or and you know the bjp is patanjali products are actually messing with people <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you never know man okay. you okay, never okay. know that's possible guys, guys we have ranted a lot and i yes, let's wrap up so those were the four terms mm-hmm. we handled today there are a lot more uh, which are also similarly used in loose talk on the left generally we would like we to taking, encourage are we taking audience uh, requests for a yes, possible yeah, we are like if, if there are terms you would want to tweet at us about terms which you think are being especially misused abused and loosely used in uh, such progressive circles please do uh, do talk about do at us with those terms on our twitter uh, as you know we are on soundcloud we are on practically every podcast platform do follow us there uh over the last few episodes the audience has been incredibly nice to us and has yeah play us <laughs> on patreon please because uh, we need money for my shitty internet connection yes, also promote needs help or <laughs> really needs help yeah. as you can see uh help of various sorts monetary monetary help <laughs> Patreon so, link in the link description below. And uh, good night. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night. Bye. Good night. Thank you very much.